Amen. Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing well? I went and got my hair cut yesterday, and the lady cutting my hair. Don't laugh. What are you laughing for? <laughs> she laughed too, right? Yeah. And uh, she said, uh, did you have a good Halloween? I said, man, we had a great Halloween. This was a young lady, Amarola. She said, well, did y'all have trick-or-treaters? I said, yes, ma'am. We had about 200. She said, 200? I said, yes, ma'am. How many did you have? She said, two. <laughs> she said, what? She, why? People love me. I mean, I told her why because of Power Kids, but she was blown away. She was blown away. All right. We picked up some more of these books, The Treasure Tree. Uh, I just finished the series on uh, the personality styles. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did teaching it. Uh, if you didn't hear all of them, you can get on our website, tcf.church, and you can listen to them. Listen, nothing helped Vicki and I as much as when we learned our personality styles. This is for children, and it uses the actual characters that I talked about. It's by Gary Smalley, and in the back of the book, it has a test, a personality test that is designed for children. Now, don't get one. Get, of course, if you have small children or you have grandchildren, great book. But even as an adult, you'll, you'll learn from this book. And uh, don't think, well, I don't need to get that because I wouldn't get anything out of it because you would. But we ordered some more online. They're $15. This is an incredibly beautiful hardback book. Look at the illustrations in it. I mean, it's got great illustrations. Uh, if you have a grandchild or a child young enough to get in your lap, which means, you know, 15 or under, right? And uh, hold them in your lap and read this book to them, and they'll learn and they'll grow from that, and it'll be a blessing to you. Amen? All right, so we've got a few left, and so uh, I appreciate y'all buying those. Praise God. All right, can we pray? Okay, Father, I love you. I'm so thankful this morning for your love and your grace. Father, I want to pray for those of us that are here, and Father, I would like to lift up our families. Father, our loved ones, whatever that looks like, whether it's parents or grandparents or children or grandchildren, Father, and I pray your grace is on our families. Father, that you touch our families, you minister to our families. Father, that we would be a light to our families. And that, Father, your grace would be on us in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about confession. And I've got two things that I want to show you this morning. Uh, When I say the word confession, a lot of times you can think negatively. Uh, If you grew up uh, in a, in a, whatever tradition of church you grew up in, it may mean confessing your sins and there's nothing wrong with confessing your sins. Uh, you know, we've heard where, you know, a criminal can confess to a crime. Okay. I don't mean, and I don't mean it from that perspective. What I mean is taking hold of God's promises and applying those promises into your life and particularly confessing God's word or confessing God's promises. Then what I'd like to attach it to this morning is in relationship to your dreams. Now, I don't mean the kind of dreams you have when you've had too much pizza to eat at night and the bear's chasing you, right? You know, and you feel his air or you're flying or you're falling, right? I don't mean those kind of dreams. I mean the kind of dreams, the hopes that you have in your life, okay? Whether it's hopes and dreams for yourself, hopes and dreams for your children, your family. Uh, and I want to I connect those two things together. So the first thing I want to do this morning is I want to read to you out of the book of James. I'm going to read in James chapter 3, and I'm going to read, there's 13 verses, so it's pretty long. But this is a warning to us about what we're doing with our tongue. So let me, let me read it to you. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. All right, I'm in trouble already. Amen? Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. Now, the word perfect there doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. It means mature. 
Okay, if you can control your tongue, you're mature. So I've got a ways to go on that. We could also control ourselves in every other way. Verse 3, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Verse 7. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? No. You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, listen to that carefully. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. Now, there's a lot there, and I know it. But the thing I just want you to see is he's warning us about our tongue. He's warning us about our mouth. And he makes three very simple, very powerful comparisons. What he wants you to see is, in reality, how small our tongue is, but how a small thing gets us in big trouble. The first thing he says is a horse. You put a bit in a horse's mouth, and that bit makes this very large, very strong animal do what you want it to do. Then the next example he gives is a rudder. And he says you can take a large ship that has mighty winds blowing against it, but this small rudder in the back controls where it goes. Then he uses the example of a spark. And he says one spark can start a huge forest fire. Now, here's the first thing I want you to see this morning. You are directing your life by your tongue. You may have grown up a lot of times like I grew up, and that is, oh, words aren't that important. Words aren't that big of a deal. Or if we say hurtful things or we say angry things, we come back with, well, I didn't mean it, or hey, I was just joking. And so we don't put a lot of stock in words. When the Bible is encouraging you and encouraging me that our words have great power, all right, they have great power. And you're either setting your life on fire with your words or you're bringing God's blessings into your life with your words. Now, it says something very powerful and to me a little bit discouraging. It says that your tongue is set on fire from hell and you think, oh my gosh, okay? I mean, you know, it's almost discouraging. You think, well, then what, what am I gonna do? Well, the first thing I want you to see in this is this very simply. You can't control your tongue, but God can. Okay, God can all right, anytime you decide, okay, I'm going to do something, okay, whether it's control my words, whether it means I'm going to eat less or I'm going to stop doing this or stop doing that, you set yourself up for trouble and for a fall. What you want to do is lean on God's grace. See, I can't control my mouth. For one thing, I'm an otter, okay, and, and my mouth gets me in trouble all the time. I've been in trouble my whole life because of my mouth, uh, and it happens to me all the time. But God, let your grace give me strength to be able to control my mouth. I want my mouth to be a source of life and a source of blessing and a source of grace. Now, I'm going to show you another verse. I want to go to Proverbs 18, 21. 
All right, listen to what this says. This says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Listen, one of the things that I always want to do in church is I want Christianity to be simple because I believe it is. All right, Christianity is nothing more than a relationship with God. Okay, the Bible is nothing more than a love letter from God to me. It's not a book of rules and regulations. It's, it's a love letter from God. And I want my walk with God to be, to be uh, as simple as it can be. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees, you burden the people. Well, I never want to a Christian fellowship or the messages that I preach to be a burden to you. I want it to be simple. And this, this verse is as simple as it gets. It says that you have death in your tongue and you have life in your tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. All right, what's the point? All right, these two verses together make one simple point. You are speaking life or you're speaking death, and your words matter. Your words matter. Back several years ago when I had my first eye surgery and I had my first detached retina, I went to Dr. Kopp in Plainview, and he's an ophthalmologist, and he uh, saw that I was, gonna ha- I was having a detached retina. He sent me to Dr. Shami in Lubbock. Uh, through a process, I had detached retinas in both eyes, and I had like five surgeries in my eyes. Who would have thought? I would have never thought that would have happened. And as I was going to a checkup one day with Dr. Kopp, here's what he said. He said, when most people have this kind of thing happen to them, it takes them out. They don't do good. He said, they tend to crash and burn in life. And he said, I've noticed that you're a person whose cup is half full instead of half empty. And I said, thank you very much for your kind words. But when he said that, immediately, here's what I knew. All right, when this began to happen in my life, I made the decision that I was going to lean on the grace of God. Okay, God, regardless of what happens, God, regardless of the outcome, God, I'm trusting you and I'm leaning on you from the first moment until the last moment. And we had ups and downs. Now, one time I went to his office and everything was good. I was going to have a checkup, but he looked in my eye and said, oh, there's scar tissue and you need surgery again. Well, that day, Vicki and I were going to go run some errands in Lubbock and we were so disheartened. We got in the car, I hung my head and we drove home in silence. We didn't run errands. We didn't do anything because we were so discouraged. But here's what I did. I used God's word in my life. And one of the verses that I held on to was Isaiah 41, 10, fear not for I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When I had surgery, you know, I had to go home and lay on my face. And I had to stay on my face for 45 minutes out of every hour. And 15 minutes, I could get up. Well, the weather was nice and it was pretty. And so when I would get up for my 15 minutes, you know, I'd go to the restroom, get a drink. And then I would go outside in the sunshine and I would walk in a circle in my backyard. And as I walked in in the circle in my backyard, I quoted that and other verses. Okay, and I, I would walk and I said it out loud. And I said, Father, I fear not for you're with me. I'm not dismayed. I'm not discouraged because you're my God. You strengthen me. You help me. You uphold me with your righteous right hand. And I had several verses. I actually had them written on cards. Listen, one of the most powerful things you can do as a Christian is find the promises of God and put them on cards and keep them with you. I have them in my devotional time in the morning, and I have them on the visor of my pickup for throughout my day. And I spoke God's promises. Now, listen to me very carefully. I was afraid. I had the feelings and the emotions of fear. I don't want you to think that I was all okay and I had it all together because I did not, all right? I had fear. 
And when I had that surgery, all I could think about was, what, have I, what am I going to do? What's going to happen to me? What if I go blind? I had fear. Okay, but in the midst of that emotion, I claimed the promises of God by saying them out loud. It comforted me. It encouraged me, and I want you to know I believe it released the promises and the blessings of God in my life. So here's what I felt like. A lot of times I felt like a hypocrite. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, while I'm feeling afraid, I'm saying the promises of God, and my feelings and my words didn't match up. And the devil would come and tell me, what are you doing? What are you doing walking around in the backyard spewing out the Word of God? Man, I hope the neighbors aren't listening to you. They'll think there's something wrong with you. The devil tried to use that on me, and he tried to make me think that I was either faking it or I was pretending or I was trying to make something happen that wasn't true. I want you to understand my emotions and God's promises did not line up. But the more I claimed the promises of God, the fear began to subside, and the more my emotions and the more the promises of God begin to line up. Listen to me very carefully. Whatever you have going on in your life, whatever you're dealing with, okay? One of the things the devil's always tried to attack me with is fear. Okay, I can even struggle with it today. You know, I can have a fly fly across the room and I can see it and I think there's something in my eye, okay? Then I can immediately think, oh, something's not good, right? Vicky and I walk in the morning and one day I had a little stocking cap on to protect my little head from the cold and, and there was a shadow. My glasses change when they go inside and out. So when I came in the house, they were half sunglasses and half clear. Well, when I came in, I saw that line, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, my eyes. Well, then when I took my glasses off, it was like, Eureka, you're okay. Okay, that was kind of dumb, but I, all I want you to know is I still can have those feelings. And so I continue to maintain the promises of God. Now, I want to show you another amazing verse. I'm going to go to Revelations chapter 1. In Ephesians, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm going to read you this in just a minute. It says in Ephesians, as Christians, you and I have armor. We only need armor for a couple of reasons. One, you're in a battle. Number two, you have an enemy. So God says you got some armor. What does that mean? Well, that means I've got something I'm supposed to be using. One of the things the Bible says that we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen to me. Every one of you as Christians have a sword. Now, it's not a sword you can see or feel. It's not a sword that's in your closet. But you have a sword nonetheless, and it's called the Word of God. How does the Word of God become a sword? It only becomes a sword when you speak it. Not when the Bible lays on your coffee table or not when it's in your phone, but when you speak it. Let me read to you. I want to show you. This is some amazing verses, and I've got a, an, an amazing story I want to tell you. Revelation one twelve. Listen to what this says. Now, John, let me set this up. John is having a revelation of Jesus. He writes the book of Revelation, and he sees Jesus. Now, he doesn't see Jesus as a, as a shepherd. He doesn't see Jesus as a lamb. He doesn't see Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. He doesn't see the Jesus that stood before Pilate. He sees Jesus as the conquering king of kings, as the Lord of lords, who he really is. If you've read the New Testament very much, you know there was an event called the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, and that's where some of the disciples went up with Jesus and when he got up there, he transformed. In other words, the glory that was on the inside of him came out, and they saw it, and they were never the same after that. Okay, that's what's happening here. Let me read to you. It gives you a description. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, clothed with a garment down to his feet, 
girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Now stop right there. He wasn't white-headed like an old man. It means he's trying to describe light. Okay, Jesus was not this old guy with white hair. I'm, I'm not picking on you, but a lot of times we can even have that image of God as a father. You know, that he's, you know, he's Gandalf, right, from Lord of the Rings. He's this old guy sitting on a throne, and, and he's got this long white hair, and he's old and got a robe and a staff, and there's cold wind blowing through the castle. And No, no, that's not God, okay? God is life, okay? Jesus is life. And so he's trying to describe light. Let me continue to read. It says that his hair was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice sounded like many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Stop right there. Okay, Jesus has a sharp two-edged sword come out of his mouth. It's not a physical sword. It's the Word of God. Okay, when I was a kid and I heard that verse, all I could see was this big sword sticking out of Jesus' mouth. And everywhere he went, he bumped into stuff with it, okay? Okay, that's not what it means. It's the Word of God. Okay, do you know in the Battle of Armageddon, it says that out of Jesus' mouth will come a sharp two-edged sword, and the armies of darkness, the armies of the devil and the Antichrist, they will be slain, and it says that their blood, there'll be so much blood from so many dead that it'll be as deep as the bridle bit of a, on a horse. And Jesus isn't going to fight them with a physical sword. He's going to speak the Word of God, and they're going to be destroyed. Now, listen very carefully. When you take God's Word... When you take the promises off the page and you put them in your heart and you let them come out your mouth, you have a sword and you're using it. And darkness has to take a step back in your life. Now listen very carefully. Whether it's finances, whether it's health, whether it's your kids, whether it's school, whether it's work, listen, whatever you're facing... You take the promises of God. Listen, you don't need 10 promises. You just need one. See, don't get caught up into that. I've got to have 10 verses memorized. No, you don't. You take one promise. And when you speak it out your mouth, it becomes the sword of the Spirit. Here's how you do it. Father, I thank you. The doctor says I may have heart trouble, but your word says by Jesus' stripes I'm healed. That's the sword of the Spirit. And it will get the enemy off your life. Now, let me finish reading. Listen to this. I love this description of Jesus. It says, Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand on me and said, I love this. I love this. He said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't you love this? I, I, I love Jesus, obviously. I know you do too or you wouldn't be here. But here's Jesus with eyes of fire, feet like brass, hair like wool. And it says the sun is shining in his full strength. And when he opens his mouth, it sounds like a thundering waterfall. And when John sees him, he immediately falls on the ground just like we all would. And I love how Jesus reaches out and touches him. And he says, hey, don't be afraid. Can I tell you something this morning? You know what God's wanting to say to you this morning? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Listen, whatever you're facing, fear not. I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. He touched him and he said, what? He said, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Back in the 70s, 
I finished Bible school, and Vicki and I were going to a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Grace Fellowship. And at the time, they had about 1,300 people in this church. It was a very large church at the time. Now, the churches today can have 10 and 20,000 people in them, but back then, that was a huge, huge church. Well, I was finishing Bible school, and we were volunteering in the youth ministry. We were so hungry to do something for God. Now, you have to understand, I have no preachers in my family. Okay, I, I'm the first person in my family to go to Bible school and to go into the ministry. And I didn't know how I was going to get into the ministry because I didn't know anybody in the ministry. And I told God one time, I said, God, I don't know anybody. How am I going to be a preacher? And he said, hey, you know me. All right, can I tell you the same thing in your life? Whatever it is you think you need to happen in your life and you think I don't know the right person, you do know the right person. His name is God. So we're volunteering in this youth ministry. Now, my job was to put out Doritos and fill little cups with punch. Now, you got to remember this is the 70s, okay? Youth ministry that we have here in this church was just beginning to be a dream in my heart. All right, and I want to explain something to you. That church had 1,300 people in it, and they had 40 teenagers in youth ministry. Did you know that today in churches, that if you have 10% of your church numbers in your youth ministry, that's considered good? Okay, there's about 300 people who go to Toya Christian Fellowship. So if we had 30 kids in youth ministry, that would be outstanding. Okay, 30 kids in youth ministry would be incredible because that, that's about the way that they do it today if you have 30 kids. Okay, so there was 40 kids in this youth ministry, and that was big, even though the church was 1,300. And my job was to put out chips. I put out Doritos, nacho Doritos, and then I would fill little cups with punch. That was my job. I wanted to help. I didn't care what they wanted me to do. I wanted to be in the ministry. They came up to me, and they said, hey, do you want to preach? Do I want to preach? Do I want to preach? Does a fish want to swim? Does the bird want to fly? Does the bird dog want to hunt? Is the Pope Catholic? I want to preach. Oh, I wanted to preach more than anything. Now, you got to understand, we lived in an apartment, and I had nowhere to preach, and I had this burning desire to preach. So we got two igloo ice chests, and we put them on top of each other, and then we put a towel over the front of it and folded the edge of it under the lid, and that was my podium. And I would invite my Bible school buddies over to our apartment, and we would take turns preaching to each other. So there'd be three people on the couch, and I'd stand up in our little apartment. It was a little closer than this and on the same level, and I'd preach, and then the next week, one of them would preach, and we wanted to preach so bad, but we had nowhere to preach. So they asked me if I wanted to preach. It's like, you better believe I want to preach. The verses I just read to you are the verses I preached in youth group the very first time I preached. I preached on Jesus having eyes of fire, feet like brass, and hair like wool. Don't you wonder what I was thinking? I mean, you know, if we had somebody come preach in youth ministry and they preach that, we'd think, get out of here. What's wrong with you? I mean, that's not exactly a very youth-oriented message. But I was so excited, I wanted to preach. Now, here's the next thing that happened to me. I wanted to be on staff at that church. Now, you've got to remember, here's a church with 1,300 people. The pastor drove a brand-new black and gold uh, Smokey and the Bandit Trans Am. Now, if you're not old enough to know what that is, that was the black Trans Am with the shaker hood and had the big uh, bird on the front of it and Smoking the Bandit was the movie. The pastor drove one of those. I mean, it was like he was James Bond. I mean, you know, I mean, I went and saw that movie yesterday and I'm going to make a career change in the next couple of weeks. I'm retiring and I'm going to be James Bond from now on. I'm just, I've just decided. Okay, and Vicky's going to be my girl. It's okay. But, you, you know, the Bond girl will be Vicky, all right? 
But the pastor had a black Trans Am. Okay, now listen to me. I wanted to be on staff at that church so bad I could taste it. But God had other plans. I went in and met with one of the staff pastors, and he interviewed me and talked to me about hiring. And then just a couple of weeks later, he got fired. And he was the man that I knew, and I didn't get hired. Listen to me. The reason I didn't get hired is because God had a plan for Tulia, Texas, and he had a plan for you that I couldn't and didn't see. Now, listen, I want you, I want you to miss this. I, didn't, I don't felt like I said it very good this morning, and I want to make sure I say it clearly this morning. I wanted God to do something in my life, and he didn't do it, and I still had to decide to trust him because he had a bigger plan, and he was moving upstream. Now, listen. You see, God cared more about Tulia than he did about my immediate desires. Sometimes that can discourage you if you're not careful. Because you, all you can think about is this is what I want and I want it right now. God, I want to get on staff at Grace Fellowship. I want to live in Tulsa. I'm going to raise my kids here. And all the time, God's thinking, no, no, I have a different plan for you. And that plan involves Tulia, Texas. Listen, God loved you enough that he had a plan to send me from Tulsa to here. Now, here's a funny story. Back before I even went to Bible school, I worked for a friend of mine's dad who had a roofing company. And we roofed houses, and I was in Plainview one time. We were in Plainview roofing an apartment building. And coming back through, the old highway was still here. And as we got down to the corner where Swisher Tire is, we saw a big green sign, and it said Rollicone. And so we thought, what in the world is Rollicone? You know, we thought maybe it was a zoo or something. You know, we didn't know. Maybe there were giraffes and elephants out there. We didn't know it was just birds, okay? (laughs) Was that good or what? Was that good or what? I mean, huh? Yeah, yeah. Man, I mean, the second service is so much better than the first. My gosh, I've had time to think about it. (laughs) Now, so we turned right down there at the gas station. Here's what's what's amazing about the heart of God. I drove right down this street with my friends right out here, turned right at this corner and drove right down there, and we drove out to Rollicone. We didn't know what it was, and we found out it was a place where you work. Well, then we weren't interested, and we left and went on our way. But here's what I think is amazing. I drove right by my destiny, and I didn't know it. I hadn't been to Bible school yet. I wasn't trying to trust God yet. None of that had even happened. Don't you think God had to be laughing? When I drove by, don't you know he was laughing? Now, I'm not saying there's a banister in heaven, but if there was, God was looking down laughing, right? Hey, y'all, everybody come look, come look. There goes Rusty by his destiny. Now, now here's what's amazing. I wonder how close you've been to your destiny, but you just don't see it yet. Now, let me connect confession with your dreams. Way back when we had youth group at Grace Fellowship, and I wanted to work there, and I didn't get hired. We had 40 kids in youth ministry. God began to drop in my heart what I wanted youth ministry to look like. All the way back in the late 70s, the ground zero we have today, God incubated in my heart in the late 70s and early 80s. I didn't know how we were going to do it. I didn't know where we were going to get the money. I didn't know where we were going to get the buildings. I didn't even know what a coffee bar was. Or that's the cool thing about God. God has plans for you, and you, you, he can't even explain them to him. You know, if God had told me, hey, you're going to have a youth ministry with a coffee bar, I'd have said, what's a coffee bar? Right, a bar was where you drank Jack Daniels, not coffee, right? Okay, so I, and I had that incubating in my heart, incubating in my heart. What do you mean, Pastor. Well, that dream was inside of me, and I would pray about it. 
I would talk about it. I would confess it and walk with God as I did. Listen, the ground zero we have today is a dream fulfilled in my heart that God put in me in the 70s and the 80s. Power Kids is the very same way. Power Kids started in the nursery, then it went across the street to where Vicky's office is now. And one day I was driving down the street, minding my own business, and we went by this. I went by the Sixth and Gaines Church of Christ, and I heard God speak in my heart, and He said, "Power Kids will be here." Now I did not hear an audible voice. Listen, I've never heard the audible voice of God. And when I say God speaks to me, what I mean is that inner heart, that inner witness that you hear. It's not an audible voice. But I heard in my heart as I drove by there, minding my own business, power kids will be right here. There was only one little detail he left out. It took seven years. And through that seven years, I would be encouraged, I would be discouraged, I would be depressed, I would be up, I would be down. But I held on to the promises of God. And one day, I had the boldness to go down there and walk in the door and talk to that guy, Mr. Jennings, and the rest is history. Now, we have 150 kindergarten through fifth graders, and we have 150 high school kids, and we have as many teenagers and kids on Wednesday night as we do in church on Sunday morning, sometimes more. And listen, it's unheard of. It's unheard of, 50%. Our youth group is half the size of our church. Our children's ministry is half the size of our church when normal is 10%. We're not 10% the size, we're 50% the size. Listen, God put that in my heart. Now, just in another minute or two, I'm gonna close, but can I just bring it down to you? All right, what dreams do you have for yourself, for your kids, for your grandkids? Maybe it's a job issue, maybe it's a marriage issue, maybe it's a health issue. I want to encourage you. Whatever it is that you've let go of, whatever it is you've put down, whatever, and maybe you're in that season right now where you think, oh, I thought that was going to happen, but it never has, and it probably never will, and I don't care anymore. Can I encourage you to pick it back up and take God's word and God's promises? Ephesians says that you've been given a sword of the Spirit. It's part of your armor. How do I use it? You get a hold of a simple promise of God, whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's marriage, whether it's your kids, whether it's your future. Hey, Pastor Rusty, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I don't know about my future. I don't know where I'm going to work. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea. Can I encourage you to get a promise of God and begin to feed on it and begin to say it? A simple one's right there on the wall. Father, I thank you that your plans for me are good and not evil. God, your plans for me are good and not evil. You don't have to know what the plans are. He does. Isn't that good? You can just rest in that. God, you get me where I need to be, doing what I need to be doing. You know, one of the things that I've always believed is if God didn't want me in Tulia, he's big enough to move me. I've always believed that. And that hadn't happened yet, so I must still be where I'm supposed to be. Right? I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with looking for a different job. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just telling you from my own heart. I want to encourage you this morning. If you have a health issue this morning, claim the promises of God. If you have an issue of your future, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Listen, God wants to take care of you. He took care of me. He will take care of you. So whatever it is that you're facing, if you'll take the word of God, the promises of God, make it the sword of the spirit in your life, and then hang on to those promises, whatever they are. Listen, dreams are a good thing. Ground Zero was a dream. Power Kids was a dream. Tulia Christian Fellowship was a dream. 
When I drove by here that day, all those years ago, none of this existed. This building wasn't here. Now, the red brick building was, and there was another old white frame building that's not there anymore. But listen, God had a plan. He has a plan for you. I said he has a plan for you. And I want you to be encouraged. And I want you to take the word of God and begin to say it. Even though you feel afraid, even though you're discouraged, even though you think, Pastor, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and that's the last thing I ever want to do is say God's word. Can I just encourage you to do it anyway? Do it anyway. Would you bow your head and let me pray for you? Father God, I want to thank you this morning for every person in this service. And God, my heart, my heart is that they would be encouraged. Father, I know everybody in this room faces different issues, whether it's a work issue, whether it's a future about their future, whether it's health, whether it's something the doctor has said, whether it's maybe it's, it's a money issue, it's an issue with a child or a grandchild or a sister or a brother or a mom. God, we hang on to your promises, that your promises are true and that we can put them in our heart and we can say them out of our mouth and we can watch you work. Father God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we can trust you and that you're faithful and that every person in this place is strengthened and refreshed and encouraged to continue to hold on to their dreams. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Y'all stand up. Praise God. The Lord's good. I love you. I hope y'all have a great rest of your weekend. Go and be blessed.